The Cyclone Fanatic Podcast is fueled by Cody Rhodes and recorded in the Wild Rose Casino and Hotel Studio. Yo, welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. Mostly on track, Tuesday, May 30th. What's up, Jeff Woody? Not much, man. We're uh, post-Memorial Day, so I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm probably a little bit more sore than you are from Memorial Day activities. Yeah, I imagine you were a little bit more active on your Memorial Day than I was. Didn't you do your, you did the Murph? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every year, I mean, a little mini context, every year. Um, and it's not to say, it, it's kind of beyond CrossFit's now, but like uh, the Murph challenge, or people will call it that, but it's a Murph, it's a uh, uh, workout named after a fallen soldier. And so we had an event at both of our locations uh, and raised like 20, I think 2,300 bucks for uh, veterans nonprofits. And we, you, you do the workout together, scale it, whatever. But like you follow that up with a barbecue and some beers, like a, a long, difficult workout in honor of people that are no longer here. So you kind of push yourself a little bit harder because you're like, hey, at least I'm alive to feel this this soreness. And then you get done and then you go have a beer and th- three hamburgers. So this morning is a little rough in the soreness. And also I had three hamburgers and several beers after having done that. So, uh, I would say, I mean, long answer to short question, but how am I feeling? Could have been better. I don't think you could have packed more mini flexes into one, into one little span of, uh, yeah, I worked out really hard this weekend. Uh, and I drank some beers and had a barbecue and, uh, we did it for charity. <laughs> I mean, they're all true. It's, it's, uh, but yeah, I mean, if, uh, uh, shade taken, shade taken. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, dude. It's just, it was, all of a sudden I realized it was like, oh, he's just flexing all over me right now. You like, you even, you set yourself up to flex on me by saying, I feel like I was more active than you this weekend. Yeah, I did. I mean, am I wrong? No, I'm just saying. What'd you do this I hope, I hope you do everybody this feels that Jeff Woody was is a great person now. <laughs> also, I really love the the dynamic that Jared that you and I have generally is that like calling me a piece of shit <laughs> comes second so second nature that it didn't even take ten seconds afterwards. Like, oh, twenty three hundred dollars for a veterans nonprofit. That's pretty good. Hey, shut up. <laughs> It's all in good fun. I'm not. I'm not being serious. Yeah, obviously, sure. Fun. I, that good fun. obviously, it's cool that you raise the money for the veterans group. Okay, I get it. I understand. Uh, this just in: Stansbury hates veterans. Just saying. Now I'm canceled. Well, right after Memorial Day. Mostly on track. We are so off track. <laughs> we didn't get ten seconds in. We didn't get ten seconds into the podcast. We've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, big news and realignment here this afternoon as we were getting ready to record the podcast. Uh, we'll get to that here first, just in uh, in a couple minutes. We're going to talk some Big 12 basketball, talk some Iowa State basketball stuff, uh, and then maybe we'll talk a little bit about the NBA if we've got some time as we uh, as we move along here. And uh, obviously the NBA Finals now set starting on Thursday in Denver, the Nuggets and the Heat after the Heat get the Game 7 win last night in Boston. Uh, but first things first, uh, we've, we've got to hear from somebody else just to, to prime this thing for this conversation. Well, well, well. How the turntables. Colorado has come crawling back to the Big Dwarf. Oh, how sweet it is. Reported, how sweet it is. Reported this afternoon by CBS Sports' Dennis Dodd that Colorado has held substantive talks with the Big 12. Is, is it substantive? Substantive. Substantive. Substantive, yeah. Substantive. Yep, there you go. Substantive talks with Big 12 as Buffaloes consider leaving the Pac-12. Uh, from the report, it says, while a uh, move out of the Pac-12 is not assured, Colorado is performing due diligence to determine whether to return to the conference it once called home. The Buffaloes, like the rest of the Pac-12, remain Main in wait and see mode regarding a new media rights deal that has yet to be solidified. Colorado and the Big 12 have met face-to-face while involved in consistent talks over a period of several months. According to multiple sources, it was made clear that a move to the Big 12 would not be made without the support of football coach Deion Sanders. Uh, This is the first time that I think we've heard Colorado and the Big 12 have had meetings in person, face-to-face. I don't know that that's ever been discussed previously. I think we knew Commissioner Yormark had been on the campus at UConn and had held some meetings with them. But uh, to know that they're this far along and that it's, you know, obviously being reported and is out there, this has to be 
these have to be substantial discussions at and, this point. And I also think another thing that's just comes with the territory of just realignment talk. And this is all summer. Like this is kind of because there's nothing else going on. Any little thing can get magnified into something bigger. But it's also harder to hide stuff because there is nothing else to get buried in the news cycle. It's not like, oh, Bryce Young's got a hurt shoulder. What's that mean for Alabama? There's nothing else that goes in there. So anything that happens starts to trend up. But at the same time, that also means you have time as a SID or as a the media department for whatever university or conference is there, have time to refute any story that doesn't carry truth. I've not seen any refuting of this story, which means I could say, you know, jokingly before Jared Stansberry doesn't like veterans, but in the immediate response is that's completely false. Then the immediate negation of that throws doubt on the story. There hasn't been a doubt thrown on that. It was also reported by Dennis Dodd, who has a ton of credibility. He's not just throwing stuff out on Twitter and just hoping that it catches. Uh, it, yeah, to me, that says this sort of feels uh, the ball is rolling. It doesn't feel like I don't know if it's got enough momentum to like, you know, if if clearing into the getting the, getting the Big 12 is a ball rolling down a hill and off a ramp and finally landing on the other side, I don't think the ball has approached the ramp. I don't think that's really what it's what it's at. But it feels like the ball is rolling down the hill at a pretty decent rate of speed. And it would take not necessarily it would take a big change to get it to not happen, but uh, almost would take a change to get it to not happen is what it feels like. Uh, Colorado Athletic Director Rick George made some headlines last week with a you know basically a non denial denial saying that they were committed to the Pac-12, but they had to keep their options open for the the good of Colorado. Uh, in this story, he basically said the same thing. Quote, I have no comment other than what I said last week. We're proud members of the, of the Pac-12. In a perfect world, we'd love to be in the Pac-12, but we also have to do what is right for Colorado at the end of the day. They're leaving. Why? <laughs> They're leaving. Why would you say, I mean, these guys are so trained in PR yeah. to know what those statements are going to be received as. They're leaving. I, I think that if I had to put a percentage on it now, knowing what we know from this, things that I've heard in the behind the scenes, I would probably be pretty surprised if Colorado was not announced as in, as one of the new members of the Big Twelve within the next month. Like it's, that, that would not surprise me at all. So the question to me then is: so far, realignment hasn't happened in singles. Mm-hmm. It's always been pairs or more. I mean, if you think back to 2012, it was really like the kickoff to where all that happened, which, or 2011? 2011, 2010, 2011. That yeah. was really the kickoff, and you know, we were privy to that, where uh, you have Missouri, A&M, bounce to go to the SEC as a pair. Uh, not necessarily as a pair. They're not negotiating together, but they both left. Then you also have uh, Nebraska go to the Big Ten, and you have Colorado go to the Pac-12. There's four, like because they're all... The Nebraska Colorado thing was part of the relationship that kept them in. You know that that in Oklahoma was sort of like the the three teams that would play each other with substantial rivalries involved in there. So if one's leaving, the other one has the time to leave now. Then you could fast forward to every realignment post. Then is the Big Twelve then picks up West Virginia and TCU and. They're added in pairs. And then you look at the most recent round and Texas and Oklahoma as a pair leave. And then USC and uh, UCLA come in as a pair. These things don't happen. It feels like these things don't happen just at once with one thing because the people making the decisions understand that there is much more to it than just we're going over here. It's that the relationships and rivalries that or uh competitive, whether it's recruiting ground or whatever it is, they happen. They, to, to me, it sounds, it feels like they happen together. So the next question is who becomes the next, the other portion of this party to join in Arizona. So deeper in the story, it says big 12 schools are expected to get an update about expansion prospects this week during conference spring meetings in West Virginia. This is not the, why, why do we have the spring meetings in June in almost June? These are not spring meetings. It's post Memorial day. It's like even it's like officially summer. Nothing sounds better than uh, your post Memorial Day week in West Virginia. West Virginia is pretty. There remains the feeling out there that should your mark get one Pac-12 school to defect, uh, it would create a domino effect leading to the other four corner schools: Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah fleeing the Pac-12 or the the big for the Big 12 as well. Which, uh, yeah, that feels. I mean, now we're starting to get. You know, it's almost one of those things. So let's play this here. So. Um, you know, one of the things I dislike generally is con too much conjecture. 
Uh, so I would say the only thing that's substantive that feels substantive here is Colorado and their desire to, um, you know, I don't want to say likely, but a much stronger, increasing desire to leave the Pac-12 for the Big 12. So let's theoretically let's let's play the hypothetical forward in which Colorado plus the four corner schools negotiate an exit to the Big 12, which because there is no media rights deal, that might be soon, you know, like there's what's, yeah. what's the, the term that's keeping them in the Pac-12 versus like Texas and Oklahoma. They had signed a rights deal through this next season, which is why the conference is able to hold their feet to the fire and say, no, 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 you're staying here until this thing is done unless you want to give us hundred million dollars right now, because there is no rights deal on the books in for the Pac-12, there's nothing holding them to the conference. So I would imagine in these negotiations, if they said we want out now, what's the Pac-12 have for uh, a recourse if they do want out. So let's say, I mean, nothing, they have no recourse. So they have no leverage. So let's say that the four corner schools up and leave or say that they want to up and leave for the big 12. And it happens not this football season, because there's no way you could have, have it happen this year, but this would be the lame duck year. I would imagine for the PAC 12, if this theory, if this, if this theoretically happens. So then in 2023 or excuse me, 24, 25, you've got, the Texas and Oklahoma leaving, and then you've got the four new schools coming in, plus these additional four, you've got an 18 team conference. Like, no, you'd have 16 teams. Si- oh, sorry, 16 teams, because you go from 10 down to eight, up to 12, up to 16. So you've got a 16 team conference. Yeah. Well, you're going from 10 to 14 to 12 to 16. Well, this year is they're going to have 14, 14. Yeah, yeah. But I was going from the the core 10. So oh, I guess, okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Our core 10 minus two plus four plus four. So you now yeah. you have a 16 team conference. The whole thing has to get redone, right? Like there, this, th- this feels like it would be a substantial logistical hurdle. Um, and that would be, I don't want to say the end, but anything north of 16 teams becomes, feels like it's super unruly if they're able to make that happen. I mean, it would just start to feel like, what's the, like, what are we doing here? You know, if we're going to add San Diego state at that point, if you're going to add SMU, you're going to add, you know, who else? Yukon, like it just starts to feel, there comes a certain point where you start to feel like, okay, this is kind of ridiculous. You know, like what, again, what are we doing here? Why are we doing this? You know? And so, and I'll say it is expected that Colorado would receive an equal media rights share which beginning in 2025 is $31.7 million uh, to join the Big 12, making the move even more attractive. The league's contract with ESPN and Fox is believed to guarantee an equal share for any expansion team so long as they are currently Power 5 members. So if you draw four teams from the Pac-12, that would increase the deal by, what, $120 million? $124 million, mm-hmm. roughly? Uh, but... I would be interested to know then if you did hypothetically go and get a San Diego state. And if you wanted to get to 20 teams, would they have to take, they would have to take a smaller a, cut, a substantially I would imagine. smaller cut, which makes yeah. it much less. But, I, but what do you think San Diego state makes from their media rights deal right now? But Nothing. also what is, what is Oregon state doing? You yeah. know, after this, you're going to have, if there is the, the SM, your SMUs, your Memphises, your San Diego states, your Oregon states, again, in this theoretical world where the four corner schools leave, uh, your Cal Berkeley's like th- those schools are probably going to end up forming their own they would have to because of any monetary standpoint to keep any athletic department rolling Stanford, what's Stanford doing, Oregon, Washington, what are they doing? Are they going to the big 10? At that point they become desperate and the big 10 can say, take the terms that we tell you or don't take it at all. Mm-hmm. And then they lose negotiation leverage. And so maybe they take a, a getting screwed deal to the big 10, or maybe they just join this other little thing that becomes whatever the PAC 12 and some change looks like. Um, but I, I, the, the future, if Colorado does, I mean, that is a do, that is the first domino. Cause I guess, like I was, like we started this, this doesn't just usually doesn't just come or historically, it doesn't just come in once. It doesn't just one thing happen. Yeah. And, uh, I do think it was interesting that they made it, made a specific note that the move would not be made without the express written consent of Deion Sanders prime time. Uh, we're not going to the big 12 unless prime says it's okay. Feel short sighted. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's been on campus for five months. Uh, how long is Deion Sanders going to be at Colorado? If everything goes well, 
how, like what does it matter to Deion Sanders if Colorado's in the Pac-12 or the Big 12? Also, is there there can't be a coach with more pressure on him this year than Deion Sanders? There isn't to me. I, I don't care what hot seat you have. You get rid of 70 of your players. You are primarily consulted in conference realignment with a school you've been at for five months and you talk a substantial amount of shit. Yeah. If that, if they go seven and five this year, I mean, how the problem is that seven and five for them would be a massive improvement. They went one and 11. They've had one winning season since 2005, you know, like if they go seven and five, everybody out there is probably pretty, pretty freaking happy. I mean, I don't know though. Like the expectations feel like they, they have been set super high. So like seven and five is going to be fine. Like people won't be mad, but they're not going to be happy that it happened. Well, I saw today that they don't have the number one transfer class in America anymore. According to on three, uh, they have like 50 transfers, which severely weights the, or severely skews, you know, what their rankings are. Apparently Louisville has taken more transfers than even Colorado has because they've got the number one transfer class in the country now. Well, Brom came down there. Yeah, but still, like, why is nobody talking about Louisville where they've turned the whole team over to, you know? And, like, everybody's shitting on Prime all the time. Well, it's just, there's less trash that's been talked. That's why. Like, I guess that Louisville's doing their work in the dark and Prime is doing his work in prime time. I mean, either way. So, like the hypothetical, the hypothetical future, if Colorado joins the conference, is I feel like that is where they. I mean, maybe Yormark wants to continue being the one that's blazing the trail, as opposed to the Big Ten and the SEC. That's that are the ones that are saying, "Hey, we are." So, the Big Ten and the and the SEC will be at sixteen teams once all the USC, UCLA, once all of that has happened, once everything's totally settled, uh, and Texas and. Oklahoma, they'll be at, they'll each be at sixteen, correct? Mm-hmm. So the Big Twelve then getting to sixteen theoretically with the addition of these four corner schools. Uh, do they? Does your mark then want to be the trendsetter and say we're going to go to eighteen or we're going to do whatever? Or are they going to say, all right, we're all looking at each other, going, all right, sixteen enough? Are we are we settled at this number being a reasonable amount for divisions for whatever? I genuinely think that if they they went to 20, then it would be you're bordering on where you're going to be like a laughing stock where people are like, again, are like, come on, you're, tra- you're playing, trying too hard. You're playing nine conference games. So if you have a 20 conference, 20 team conference, you, you literally can play one division. division. Yeah, you can play one division. Divisions. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, it, it, which would work, I, I think, especially if you could add the right kind of schools, especially if somehow you could get a couple of those ACC schools and then. Now you've got a whole East versus West type of thing set up. But I just think that if you start digging too deep into some of those schools, you know, like it just it it looks like desperation at that point. You know, like the Pac-12 adding SMU to me is desperation. That's not strategic planning. You know, that's we have to add somebody. How many times have SMU been in the conversation about realignment? You know, a million. How many times has Memphis been in the conversation about realignment? Every single time. Every single time. And for some reason, they don't get picked up ever by anybody. <laughs> and so I just I sit there and I'm like, maybe those guys, maybe they're just not power five programs. I don't know. They're going to continue to tell you that they are, but maybe they just aren't. Maybe nobody else should look at them that way. You know, so I don't know. Like it just is a weird deal. Do you wonder kind of the what the revenue numbers are? I mean, not revenue numbers, because really this is all driven by revenue. Like, so what you wonder what the revenue numbers are for the schools that aren't quite in the pecking order? Like, again, I, I, I feel Oregon State out of all of this feels or Washington State. Those two schools, because they are land grant schools, they they're are, not getting picked up by anybody. And they're not getting either. picked up by anybody. Like, no. that is, I mean, God bless Brett Yormark, because the Mountain West. That right now, that's that is if 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 the shoe was on the other foot, that would be Iowa State, because I I mean, very few other conferences. It's less attractive. Northwestern's not getting picked up if the Big Ten falls apart. But Iowa State realistically isn't getting picked up if the if the rest of the world falls apart by a Power Five school or by by a major conference. So you're sitting in the right boat is the kind of the the luck that you've the 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 straw that you've drawn. Which is sad because it you know having those kinds of schools make the sport better. But I will add, these are the same schools that laughed at all the other Big 12 schools last year when the Big 12 was like, yo, you guys trying to do something. 
And now look at what the position that they are in. And there's going to be a lot of people that are laughing at them. Look what you guys did to yourself, you know, because they, they had every opportunity to be able to try and team up and create something different. That was going to be, that was going to be this 20 team league before if they would have wanted to just be accommodating, you know, if they wanted to actually do what was right for the sport, they didn't want to do what was right for the sport. They wanted to do what they perceived to be right for them. And they thumbed their noses down at people. And they're like, Oh, we're West coast elites. Screw these people. These country bumpkins in the Midwest, you know, and now look what's going to happen. Who's going to win out? You know, turns out Oregon state isn't worth sh- worth shit. Washington state, not really worth shit. Like to this conversation, Cal, not worth a damn thing to this conversation. You know, like Stanford is only worth anything for this conversation because of their Olympic sports and not because of their big sports. And because it's Stanford, you know, academically. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, you start digging into some of these other Pac-12 schools and they have no more to offer than what any of the Big 12 schools did to begin with. And so like now you set yourself up. It's like, I don't know what to tell you. You set yourself up to fail because you guys had an opportunity to create something here before and you laughed at everybody about it, you know, and you're like, oh, well, we're not teaming up with them. We're, we haven't decided if we're going shopping there. Well, man. The Kla- store closed. Klaikov. The store closed. Oh, Klaikov? Klaikov. Klaikov. Boy. Between Larry Scott and that guy. I mean, George Klaikov might be good at his job. Like, I have no idea. You know, I mean, he obviously got thrown into a really difficult situation. He very well could be perfectly fine at that job if it had been under normal circumstances. The unfortunate thing is that he had to take over for quite clearly the most incompetent power five uh, power five commissioner in the history of college athletics. I mean, Larry Scott quite literally killed that conference by himself. Oh, yeah. Unreal. It's absolutely unreal. Like if you go through a litany of all the stuff between the Pac-12 network, uh, the acquisitions and poor distributions of each one of those, and then the lack of actually following through on contracted values and then failure to renegotiate stuff when they needed to renegotiate stuff. I mean, it's he is the neighbor who hasn't mowed his lawn in six years. An all time great. Uh, we're just going to hope they don't notice from the Comcast overpayments thing. Like everybody's making like $5 million more than they should. And Larry Scott sits there and he's like, could just be a bank error. I don't know. You know, like maybe we just don't tell him. So what was it? Describe that situation for those that are not in the loop. Yeah. I mean, it was just a, it basically it had been uncovered that the pack that I think Comcast had paid everybody $60 million more than what they were supposed to based on their contract. And then so everybody individually got $5 million more than each school got $5 million more than what they had originally been were supposed to based on the contract. The Pac-12 realized that this had happened and then didn't give the money back. So now they have to give the money back, which is what played into last week where Washington State said they had to do the hiring freeze and all those kinds of things because of uh, they have to give back this five million and because of the money that they lost on their office space in San Francisco. Like that's all Larry Scott. That's all Larry Scott. A literal, a literal land grant state institution in the United States of America had to stop hiring people because a guy just said, screw it. We'll keep it. We'll keep it. Y'all paid it. I'm going to keep it. Yeah. It's like a, it's like Larry Scott thought that he found $5 on the ground, but it was 60 million. (laughs) And then actually the guy who dropped it was on his way down to pick it back up. Yeah. He saw, he was walking behind Comcast on the street, saw the $5 bill fall out of their wallet. And he said, well, finders keepers, bitch. Mine now. (laughs) Oh man. But like with the, like back to the actual big 12 thing again, in this hypothetical world, it feels, you know, I just, I, it, it, I don't want to say complete because that's obviously not, uh, you don't know what it's going to be, but it feels natural. If those four corner cool, four corner schools come in, you split the divisions eight and eight East and West. You have tech go with the four corner schools plus BYU. There's six and then pick two other schools, whether it's TCU and Baylor, it'd be us. The, I mean, that, that. I just know it. It wouldn't make it. Iowa State's closest road game would be Provo. (laughs) Fly down to Phoenix. Hey, if I get to go to Phoenix a couple times a year, that actually wouldn't be that bad. Yeah, I guess. Uh, But you have the natural, I mean, the the West Texas schools or even some East Texas schools like Houston or not Houston, uh, like TCU and Baylor. Houston's Uh, in East Texas. 
I know it's just the, yeah. the more DFW area. Oh, yeah. Um, but that, or maybe you take Oklahoma state and put Oklahoma state out there and then one of the Texas, the other Texas schools, you know, but I don't know, but you have the four corner schools plus tech BYU, then two of the one or two of the other Texas schools, then that's your Western division. Eastern division becomes the Kansas schools, Iowa state, West Virginia, Cincinnati, Houston, uh, uh, central Florida, that's it, right? What do you think Larry Scott's doing now? Counting his money? Like, do you defending, think he'll ever, defending himself? Do you think he clouds? could get another job? Oh God, no, no. I mean, yes, he can get a job doing something, but in no way is it going to be like a large-scale administrative thing unless it's absolutely desperate. He works delivering packages for Amazon. That's my guess. But he's driving around. I mean, what was his co- his salary had to have been in the seven figures. Oh, yeah. He he got like a $50 million bonus for their last television deal. Yeah, he's fine. He's counting his money. I don't want to say fine because he's a laughingstock and you go get a <laughs> coffee and you're like, Are you, oh, you were Larry Scott. Oh, <laughs> here, there's some spit in that for you. Like, But uh, I mean, he's fi- he's doing fine personally. But I don't know if, if that does happen and Colorado comes to the conference. And they do, in fact, then destabilize as a domino the rest of the Pac-12. It feels like you have a natural, you have natural rivalries for basically everybody except UCF. Like UCF is still kind of this little dingleberry. Well, and that's in why Florida. that's why they got to get UConn then, and we bring back the civil conflict. Do you remember that? No. Yeah, the trophy that that uh, uh, Bob Diaco made it when he was at UConn, and then uh, when UCF won the game, they left it on the field. They didn't want the trophy. <laughs> Oh my god! What a, what a great insult! I don't even want this thing that you made. Well, I mean, think how bad UConn was at the time. Meanwhile, UCF thinks that they're winning the national championship, you know, and they're like, "Get the hell out of here, dude! With this trophy, we don't want this." And it was just like the cheapest looking trophy, you know. It's just basic. It's just the civil conflict. They just got it at Hobby Lobby. And like, there couldn't be a less natural rivalry. It's still three hours in a plane. Yeah, you're you're clear across the country. You know, it's just north to south, north to, east to south. To yeah, yeah. Like they're nowhere near each other. There's no reason for UConn and UCF to have any re- any semblance of a rivalry. I don't know. UCF. But is- now because that thing exists, now we need it. Now we need it to come back. You know, what be fun though is a basketball game. Just basketball games generally. If you were to bring UConn in between West Virginia, Cincinnati, and UConn, and just the fist fights that that would take. That'd be some old school Big East. That's that's three old Big East teams right there. That I mean, that's the con. That's the that's the field of the conference, the field of basketball conference now, right? See, and then if you could somehow get some of the ACC schools, if you could figure out a way to get Syracuse, and you could get Syracuse back with those some of his, its old Big East schools. Like I, don't, I have no idea if Syracuse would ever be in this equation. I'm just like throwing them out there, you know. But it just it 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 would be kind of fun. Like there are some fun things that you could do if you wanted to go out to the East Coast. But it's just it, like you can only take so many teams, right? And then know? at that point, it becomes your if you have twenty yeah if you have twenty teams, you have two you have two divisions that neither neither side you'll you'll round robin your own side and you'll just play the other side of the conference. All right, I guess they show up. Welcome when, to the 58 team Big 12. Right. And you're, we didn't even play, we played half of our division. It'd be like the NFL, but like you'd have a, you just guess like the number one team in the regular season on the AFC side played the number one team in the NFC side. And that would just be for the conference championship. And then you figure it out on the other side. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. No, there, like, there comes there a point. There is upper limit. Yeah, there is comes, but what, like Pittsburgh? I mean, you make the backyard brawl into a conference game. You, and Cincinnati's still there? Yeah. Like, there are, there are certainly things that can be done. That's, a, that's where there are enough, like, now this conference is big enough that you can find historical data points between the schools just with just about anybody, you know, that might be out there. But it just is, it's just a, I don't know. It just never, it just is always changing what people are going to do. Never stops. The Holy War being a Big 12 game would be electric. With the, what? B- with, with BYU-Utah. Oh, yeah. That, man, that, BYU's not, they're, they're reasonably, like, reasonably easy to root for. It's not like, uh, you know, I've used Oregon State three different times. You watch Oregon State, and they're playing somebody. It's, it's not hard to root for Oregon State, because you see so much of yourself in them as an Iowa State fan. BYU is sort of like that, but they don't have uh, as much of it. But man, Utah is real easy to root against. 
Yeah, I don't know what it is about Utah. I don't like them. I don't like them. I mean, I got, I got, I still have, we got our asses absolutely handed to us by Utah and Shaky Smithson. They're also one of the dirtiest teams that we've ever played. Like, I, I got hit in the back of the ear by a helmet on a punt return, ended up going down to like the one yard line at the point of attack, no call, and the guy was laughing as it happened. It's like, hey, cool, cool, man. I appreciate that. That's more a fault on the referees because it is what it is. But, yeah, yeesh, not a fan. How long ago was that? Uh, 2010. You've really been harboring that one, haven't you? I have. Freaking Shaky Smithson, man. Do you know who it right was? in front of him. Do you know who it was that, that no, did it? I don't remember the number. I just remember I'm standing in front. I'm on, I was a right guard on punt team, sitting down, and you're supposed to sit on that person's, you know, if you're a right guard, it's their left shoulder as they're looking at you, and you're just on that hip, and then there's somebody else on the other side, so I'm sitting right there, and the punt return went to my right, their left, and the guy hit, just hit me in the back of the ear, like full block in the back. I landed on my chest, went complete, wind got knocked out of me, returned all the way back. Everyone was screaming, should have been a block in the back, because it should have been a block in the back. Didn't. I don't think it would have mattered, because we lost by like 60 points. <laughs> well, wherever that guy is, I hope that he's failed in life. Yeah. Well, no, I don't want... No, I'll wish it on him. Okay, you can. You can take the high road. I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm not going to. Yeah, I don't like them. I, I don't like BYU either. I, I just know I'm not going to like them. But if you bring Colorado in, and even let's say it is just Colorado, Colorado BYU becomes a natural thing. Like they're reasonably natural thing because they're both out there. They're natural travel partners. They're recruiting the same area. They have similar demographics that they're trying to go after, other than the Mormon thing. But like that, those two feel like they're nat- they're a reasonable pair, even if you don't get the rest of the four corner schools. Other than the Mormon thing, that little that little that side note. Yeah, that little side note. Is there any team that you could add to the big the Big Twelve that's less th- that feels less threatening than Colorado? Quite frankly, Arizona, like Arizona like who, State. What's Arizona State uh, good at? Uh, I I don't know. They feel more threatening than Colorado. Why? I just I, because that's Tempe. Like. Is really nice there. You know, if you got a coach, you could really generate excitement. You ever been to Boulder? Well, yeah, no, I know that, but Boulder's also not in Tempe, Arizona, which is like one of the most beautiful places in the country. Boulder's gorgeous, man. Like, yeah, I, I'm shocked. There's no reason. I'm thinking about the people that are playing college football. Still, do they want to go to Tempe, Arizona, or do they want to go to Boulder, Colorado? I don't think you're gonna like. Uh, yeah, but Tempe. I'm not saying Tempe's a bad place, but I like to to take Boulder and say like, oh, Boulder's not nice. That feels no, like a, I'm like not an saying, I'm not saying Boulder's not nice. I'm saying Colorado is not threatening because Colorado, quite frankly, has not been very has not been that good in anything. You know, like we're all fighting over Colorado. Colorado has had one winning season since 2005. You know, that's true. And they've been to what a handful of NCAA tournaments. And I don't think that they went to the NCAA tournament for like 20 years while they were in the Big 12 before they went to the Pac-12. And then they got pretty good. Cordell Stewart. Yeah, it was a long time ago. It's been a long time since Eric Bieniemy and Rashawn Salam were carrying the football for the for the Buffaloes. But that was fun. It was when they did it in 1992. It was a great time when they split the national title with Georgia Tech in 1990. It was a great time. That's how long ago it was that they won the national title. That Georgia Tech was also relevant. Not only was Colorado relevant, but Georgia Tech was too. And that was pretty quickly after BYU had won a national title. Was it 88? With no, it was 84. 84. Yeah. When they didn't play a single team that was ranked and won the national title. It's a good thing we got a playoff coming. Good thing we got a playoff coming, just so that we can save ourselves from BYU somehow going undefeated and winning the national title. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, let's talk about some basketball. This uh, kind of plays into what we've uh, what we've been talking about with all these new schools coming into the Big Twelve. I've got some storylines for you uh, for around the league uh, now that most of the rosters have been set. Uh, this league is going to be a lot different, a lot different. 
uh, when you add in the unbalanced schedules and things like that where you don't have to play everybody twice. But it is not going to be much worse. Uh, I pulled the T ranks for all the teams in the Big 12 this week. 11 of them are in the top 50. Uh, 12 of them are in the top 55. 13 of them are in the top 65. So if you were just going off of 1 through 68, the top 68 teams in the country, 13 of the Big 12 teams would be in the top 68 teams in the country. Man. And what's crazy, too, is some of those schools, uh, it's not just in the top 68. You're going to have some teams that are in like the top 15 and some teams that, you know, you think of like a West Virginia who, I mean, Huggy Bear has been through some uh, some self-induced stupid yeah. over the last little bit. But if taking that aside, their transfer class has been unreal yeah. as far as who they brought in and the quality they brought in. So West Virginia's team like last year was in the top, you know, whatever, 35 in that in the that ranking system i bet they're going to be substantially higher this year so you have a team like kansas who's not stepping back kansas state might regress a little well they're not a little bit they're going to regress because you don't have marquise noel but you've got teams like west virginia that are going to be stepping up iowa state i imagine is already probably going to be a higher ranked team than they were at the start of this season or at this time last year uh i, I mean it's what's what is e i mean not necessarily what is easier what is the a reasonable amount of teams in the NCAA tournament next year from this conference. Hmm. 10. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I would say probably 10, uh, to put what you said into context right now, Kansas is number one, the consensus number one team in the country. Uh, as of right now, after adding Hunter Dickinson and then the news last week that Kevin McCuller is returning as well. Uh, Houston is a consensus top 10 team. And then you've got Texas, West Virginia, and Baylor, who are all floating right there around the top 25. TCU is a borderline top. Is Mike Miles coming back? Uh, no, he is not. He is not. But uh, Damian Boss coming back. Emmanuel Miller, I think, is coming back. Uh, they also got Jameer Nelson Jr. How old does that make you feel? <laughs> well, LeBron James' son is playing at USC next year, so. That's fair. I mean, I guess Jameer is, yeah, Jameer is older than LeBron, but uh, it just makes me feel old to think that that guy's like 20. Well, I mean, shoot, you get like Joey Porter Jr. who's playing at Penn State. I'm like, I remember watching Joey Porter Sr. and I'm in my low 30s. The One of the great no-brainer draft picks of all time was the, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers drafting Joey Porter Jr. Unreal. I mean, how that, that is an absolute layup. That is, yeah. the ball is on the tee. All you have to do is just touch it. I was at the draft that night and I was like, it doesn't get more on the nose than that. Like you, if, if you had told me that Joey Porter was still on the board when Pittsburgh came up, I was like, then there's no other option. There's no other selection. Cause Mike Tomlin coached Joey Porter senior, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was remember when he Howard. had the, the fumble return in the Super Bowl? Yeah. So that was Mike Tomlin. Yeah. Coaching both father and son, man. That's just Mike crazy. Tomlin's old now, man. Like that's crazy. He was not that long ago. He's the youngest coach in the league. I feel like just a complete non sequitur is any organization should strive to be the Pittsburgh Steelers. No matter what, I mean, what what professional sports team has been more consistent and stable forever than the Pittsburgh Steelers? Yeah, have they've they? Had, really, they've like really never been bad. They've ever. had three head coaches since the '60s. Yeah. The Browns have had what three head coaches in the like last five, five years? Years, yeah. Look at the, I mean, the Panthers, the whatever you fill in the blanks team that is just cycling through people. It's incredible that like the Ravens have been able to be good while playing in that same division. You know, yeah, like that. It's like no wonder the Browns stink. They have to play the Ravens and the Steelers all the freaking time. And now Joe Burrow. And now Joe Burrow. Yeah, yeah. And the Bengals are going to be good as long as Joe Burrow's playing for the Bengals. Well, now that we went on that complete sidetrack. Mostly on track. Uh, well, I was going to say uh, the the only other franchise I can think of that has that consistency is the Miami Heat. What they've done uh, really since 2006. I think they've been bad maybe once or twice. But even like with the Steelers, like that's been since the 70s. Oh, yeah. No, it, it, yeah. You think about that context. Like it's been a long time. Because there was even a time when like the Celtics were bad. Yeah. For a bit. I mean, but that would be the nearest, the, the next. I mean, I, I don't follow hockey much, but like the Yankees went through a period where they sucked. The Celtics went through a period when they sucked. Cowboys have sucked for a long time now. It's just like the, it, the Pittsburgh Steelers are the epitome. Anyway, Big 12 basketball. Big 12 basketball. Uh, but yeah, Kansas number one with uh, with Hunter Dickinson uh, and then those new teams coming in and then the guards. Like I, I don't envy anybody who's got to put together the all Big 12 teams. There's going to be some really good guards that are like 
if they played at other schools, would be first teamers that will not make all Big 12 teams this year. I mean, you add in Max A. Smith at Texas. Uh, obviously, Tyrese Hunter's coming back at Texas as well. Kirk Creesa at West Virginia. Dewan Harris at Kansas. Taman Lipsy. Kevin McCuller, Taman Lipsy. All those guys at Iowa State brought in this year. LJ Cryer. Uh, at Houston, Damian Dunn at Houston, uh, Jamal Shedd at Houston. I mean, there's like, and then you add in Adam Flagler could very well return too for Baylor. Uh, he's going through the draft process right now. We should know in the next couple of days if he's going to come back. And if he does, Baylor will be a top 10 team going into next year. Where? Man. And that didn't even include Damian Ba, Emmanuel Miller. Like, there's so many guys that we could sit here and list. And there's going to, we're going to have to pick nine of them to be on the all Big 12 team. So, how does, what is Iowa State's roadmap? to success look like in this conference? Like what style of play do they need to have with their new guys? Because Williams not being around, which granted they brought in three guards, which yeah. I, I mean, I'm curious to your thoughts on those three guards, but you have Taman Lips, who's your primary ball carrier or uh, ball handler. He must be a better shooter this year. And I think based on that kid's work ethic, it is going to happen. Is he going to be a 40% three-point shooter? No. no, but as long as he's 33% or better, if every third shot goes in, Good enough. Well, like, I don't. I don't even know if you need to have like a percentage like that. You just need to be a threat that you might shoot the ball and it might go in. Like you have to be enough of a threat that the other team sits there and it's like we have to actually guard that guy. Especially if you get switched onto a big. If that big can come yeah. out and then your big is on a smaller guard or a forward that you get a guy. You know, whoever you get Trey King on a point guard because the point guard and the the big man switched. Either that guard or that that center, the opposing center has to come out and guard mm-hmm. you, or he's going to drop back and then you shoot it. Like one of those two things has to happen. But so assuming that Taman has a little bit better shooting percentage, becomes a reasonable threat. What does Iowa State look like in order to succeed in this next this upcoming round of the Big Twelve? Especially because it is really good and got even better. I mean, you have UCF that's coming in, which is kind of the dud of the group. Cincinnati's not great coming into this year, but they're Cincinnati. They're never bad at I hate, basketball. I hate to break it to the Golden Knights, but they've got the profile of a, of a team that could go 0-18 in the league. And that's, I mean, if they you put them in another conference, they weren't good in another conference, but going winless in this conference is pretty reasonable. Yeah. So anyway, back to the question. What does Iowa State have to play like to succeed in this conference? And is it the same dogfight no. style that they've been playing. I mean, I think you need to play a variation of that, but you need to play more of a hybrid. Like a hi- it's like take like a, a middle ground between Hoy Ball and Otzel Ball, you know? Like where you can really space the floor out. You've got guys that can knock down shots. You've got guys that can create for each other off the dribble and and do th- different things offensively. And then you really lock down defensively and like you really get after people. But you like you don't necessarily need to be number one in the nation in adjusted defensive offic- efficiency. But you can't be number one hundred in offense. You know, like that's where I think Iowa State is getting to this point where hope you would hope that they can be a a top thirty and top thirty type of team. You know. Like you're top 30 in offense, you're top 30 in defense. Like you're not elite by any means at either one, but you're really good on both ends. Well, because this league is super guard heavy, is there, what is it, who becomes the alternative ball handler if they're able to take off, whether it's Tame Lips, he's having a bad game or whatever. How do they, you're going against LJ Cryer or against, Mm -hmm. you know, Tyrese Hunter. You have these strong opposing guards or hell, the nine guys that Houston has. What, I mean, what does the backcourt look like? And who needs to be a better backcourt ball handler in order to make this offense work? Because it can't just be Taman. Like, there's no, it, it, yeah. if you're playing it like this, it can't just be Taman. Well, I do look forward to the fact that I don't think they're going to have to hide anybody in the backcourt when they're facing a press because they're scared to give that person the basketball and what would happen if they do. Uh, I Even do. Bob Jones? N- nope. Unfortunately, I did not mean Bob Jones. Okay. Well, I suppose I did mean Bob Jones, but. Not, not in that specific instance. I was not referring to him. Uh, he's going to be under the basket by the time we get to press break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You hope so. Uh, but I think that when you add in Keyshawn Gilbert, Pavletsky, Curtis Jones, like all three of those guys can handle the ball a little bit. Like, do you want them to be your primary point guard? No, that's what Tame Lipsy's job is there for. But they can handle the ball at least as well as Jaron Holmes could. You know, and be that kind of guy for you that can give like and that's where I think 
the hope is that now you've just got more pieces. Like you're just more versatile. You've got more people who are out there that can control the game. You know, I think the best teams, when you look at the best teams over these last several years, the best ones are the ones that can have two primary ball handlers on the court at the same time and they can coexist and they can both score, you know? And that's where I feel like you hope you can be now with this group is that it doesn't matter if it's Taman and Keyshawn Gilbert that's out there or if it's Keyshawn Gilbert and Jackson Pavletsky or if it's Jackson Pavletsky and Curtis Jones you think that any three any of that mix of those guys can handle the basketball they can create for other people in addition to being able to score you know so like that's what I, I think is the hope is that you can make those things happen and but a big piece of that is these guys have to come in and they've got to be able to shoot the ball at the same level that they have shot the ball previously or even close I mean I feel like percentage-wise, if you're looking, by the time we get to middle of December, let's say uh, Pavlovsky's not shooting at the same because he was he was what a forty-something percent shooter. Yeah, uh, close let's say, to it. Let's yeah. say he's shooting thirty-seven or thirty-six. The defenses you're going to be playing by the time you get into the Big Twelve Conference, or even your non-con, like uh, it's not easy non-conference schedule that they're going to be playing with their tournaments, and you know by the time you get through Iowa and stuff like that. So let's say he's shooting at thirty-six percent or thirty-five percent. It feels like as long as he is reasonably threatening, you know, in the same way that like Caleb Grill in the early part of last year, when he was, he had to be taken into account because there yeah. were a couple games when he'd go off. And in the games when he didn't, you still had to just trail him super, super tight, which is going to open up space for everybody else, especially the bigs. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that uh, it's like you don't need if you only got one shooter, you need that guy to be a flamethrower. You know, like that's got to be your 40% three point shooter. If you got three guys who can knock down shots at 35, 36%, like it's pretty damn good, you know, and that doesn't even take into account uh, Mom Silovich. You know, I think Omaha Baloo can stretch the floor a little bit. I think Trey King can shoot the ball a little bit better Demarian than what Watson. people think. Demarion Watson, you hope will, will make some strides and can knock down that corner three pointer for you. Like, I, I just think that. They've got just more guys that are capable shooters than what they did last year. There are fewer people that when they are on the court, you are they're like non like non-starter. It's like we're not even gonna guard that guy. You know, we're not guarding that guy out there. Or we would prefer that he does shoot it because we don't think he's gonna make it anyway. I think that that will be eliminated a little bit. I think what's gonna be exciting to me is, is it feels like um, TJ is. Uh, a lot like John Haycock in the sense of what do we have and what is the problem we're facing and how can we best situate what we have into the problem we're facing? Oh, he's a square peg, square hole yeah, so type of guy. And so then when you have the versatility that is going to be coming in, you have guys like Omaha, Momsilovich, and Damarian Watson that are going to be bigs, but wings, and they can... I mean, Momsilovich might have a little bit of tough time guarding a guard. I don't know how athletic he is. Maybe enough. Maybe enough length. He's long. Yeah, he's long. That's what that that's what makes up for it. And it's so, just length. But you got a guy like Omaha, and you got a, like you got a guy like Demarion Watson. It feels like those two guys can your Texas Tech back when they're in their dominance phase, uh, where they can switch one through five. Outside of and again, I don't I, I haven't seen Mom Silvich play enough. And Bob Jones is is tough enough for the minutes that he's gonna get in a game. You don't want him on a point guard, but it wouldn't be the worst thing on earth if he's on there and he does get switched to somebody. So like you can switch pretty much everybody. And offensively, if you have I mean, two of those four guards are going to be on the floor at all times. Like you're very rarely going to have just one guard and just a whole bunch of bigs. Right. So you have a lot of wings and you have a lot of guards. No matter what my dreams are. They'll never have a bunch of bigs out there. Just Taman and then four, four dudes that are six, eight on up. Four centers. Flood oh. flood the rim. That's what that's my strategy. Flood the rim. I want I want four seven feet tall guys. <laughs> and then it just becomes a volleyball game. Like where you just toss the ball somewhere in. Yeah. And they just pass it to somebody else. And it's sort of like the uh, like you're more like tetherball. You're just it, playing tetherball with each other. In my ideal world. There's at least eight bodies packed into the paint on every possession between the four offensive players and the four defenders. You put two big guys, you put your two best, you know, stretch guys uh, up at the high post at the the elbow area. Yeah, they'll shoot that. They'll take that jumper from the elbow and then you run a little high, low action. You got them, you know, crossing back and forth down on the bottom, sealing up and doing their thing like we're never losing. I'm telling you right now, you give me seven, you give me four seven footers, two of them who can knock the ball down from 15 feet, and two of them who know how to get good position down low, and we're winning every game. All you got to find, about eight seven foot tall guys who can play <laughs> basketball really well. That's all you have to do. Hey. Simple. 
A guy can dream, Jeff. A guy can dream, okay? I'm you, proud of you for dreaming. <laughs> you never know what can happen. Uh, no, I... The, the crazy thing is when I was looking through these numbers, like Iowa State is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, ninth on the T rank. Give me the over. Out of the Big 12. Give teams. me the over yeah. on that. I was gonna, they've got Texas Tech 38th. I mean, there's, there's no they. This is a computer that's handling these things. Uh, Texas Tech is 38th. Cincinnati is 42. I would be very surprised if Cincinnati is better than Iowa State. I'd be very year. surprised if Texas Tech is better than Iowa State yes. this year. But for some reason, man, these first-year coaches in the Big 12 have some magic behind them. I think we've figured out with what TJ did two years ago and then what Jerome Tang did last year. Like It would not shock me at all if Grant McCaslin came in and that team was just fantastic. I mean, I wonder who's going to be there, Isaiah Brockington or Marquise Noel, then. Well, they, they did take a guy that Iowa State uh, basically passed on. So it's probably going to be him. He'll probably kill, kill Iowa State when they play each other. Don't say that. I'm just saying. It's just like how it goes. Just building expectations. Yeah, it's just like how it goes. You can just bank on that. Yeah, and then Baylor got a guy that was committed to Iowa State, too. And then uh, he ended up going to VCU after TJ got hired. Jaden Nunn, mm. he just committed He committed to Baylor as well. So he, that's another one. You guys can be prepared for that one as well. Is Hassan Ward still here? Hassan Ward is still here. He yeah. is. Yeah. I've, I've heard very good things about Hassan. It sounds like he had a very good spring session. Is uh, much better positioned to uh, get back here in early June and get to work. If he can stay on the floor and not pick up 13 fouls in every single game, that dude has, I don't want to say like, it's, he's not Musa Cisse from... No. Oklahoma State, but in a similar, like... He's got game-wrecking ability. Yeah, athletically, ball goes up anywhere underneath, the anywhere in the, the range of the backboard, Hassan Ward can go swat that thing away. It, Bob Jones can't do that. My favorite thing is I, I was looking at the percentages. Uh, Hassan, like, of their, where people shoot. Hassan Ward, if you got him the ball for, like, close twos, shot, like, 90%. And then on dunks, 100%, obviously. But it, but it was like 95% of his made shots were either close twos or dunks. But the second that you got a couple feet away, those numbers just cratered. Drastically fell down. So it's like Hassan Ward is elite at what Hassan Ward is elite at. But it's when you start to ask him to do all the other things, you know, maybe things can, can fall apart a little bit. That's what you hope now. Like I said... He came in here last year, had the issues with his visa before he got to campus, got to campus late. Tough situation. The guy's from the Barbados. Someone told me a couple weeks ago, there are literally two courts in the entire country of Barbados to work on your game. Not a very good place to go and spend the summer if you're a college basketball player, quite frankly. So now you hope he can spend the summer in Ames. Much more than two courts. Two courts in one building. Two courts in one building. And lots of other good basketball players around you. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how many college basketball players there are from Barbados. There's a number for that. I don't really care to necessarily spend the time to look at, but it can't be very many. Not a lot, especially if they only have two courts. All right. Do you got anything else you want to talk about? No, I I just the basketball stuff because of conference realignment. Like that's where, you know, Chris and Brent said it on their Sunday pod. The Big 12 is the SEC of basketball, you know, like as far as both quality and competitiveness goes and going into this next basketball season iowa state is positioned to be a heavyweight in the in that conference which is going to be a conference of a ton of heavyweights and there basically isn't a single program here that will that can be bad at basketball and everybody's like just cool with it you know like if this t- if their school is bad at basketball, it's like DefCon DefCon one except UCF except for UCF yeah which might just have to be content with being bad at basketball all the time even if they're kind of okay they're gonna just be looked at as being bad because they're they they're playing with the behemoths they're playing on Heisman mode right now UCF basketball is playing on Heisman mode and they've only ever played on freshman yeah yeah tough look for the Golden Knights we'll see we'll see one twenty five in T rank. Thanks, Jeff. We'll talk to you again next week. Bye, everybody.